Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If you would, get your Bibles open up to the Gospel according to John chapter 21. Uh, since Easter, I've kind of been preaching almost a series of events that happened after uh, Jesus Christ's resurrection. Um, this particular passage of Scripture, and there's a few things that we're going to point out as we go through this passage of Scripture that uh, that I find a little bit, I mean, extremely interesting. The fact that, uh, that Jesus Christ is, uh, if I was to try to if I was to try to sum this entire chapter of the Bible up, it would be that Jesus Christ wanted his disciples or his apostles to know that he would be continuing to care for them even after he was gone. And he also lays down an expectation, a couple of expectations uh, for the apostles uh, before he leaves. Now, this is following uh, the event that happened at the tomb when, uh, when Mary was uh, was told by Jesus to go back to uh, go back to the apostles and tell them to meet him in Galilee. So in this in this first verse, when it talks about the Sea of Tiberias, the only place in the Bible that that the Sea of Galilee is referred to, the Sea of Tiberias. Who knows who the Caesar was at the time of Jesus Christ's birth, life? Would have been a good opportunity to guess because it, it was Tiberius. Tiberius Caesar was the one that was so uh, the thing about emperors was they really liked to uh they really liked to think highly of themselves and they would name things after themselves and uh John referred to the Sea of Galilee as the Sea of Tiberius in this particular passage of scripture uh but as we go through this I want us to see a couple of things I mean one thing the first verse I just think it's one of the coolest things that you could ever imagine um read with me chapter 21 starting with verse 1 of the gospel according to John it says, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. That word manifested is really interesting, and it's the same thing that Jesus Christ did when the apostles were all in the upper room, and they, the doors were closed, and it says that Jesus Christ appeared in the midst of them. So manifestation, it basically, it means in the Greek that, that Jesus Christ allowed himself to be seen, which is just, to me, Jesus spent 33 and a half years of his life as a human being. The last three and a half years of his life, um, he would spend time in a crowd, but when he needed to leave, he would usually sneak away. And now it kind of seems like Jesus has the ability to just make himself disappear and appear at will, which is, to me, one of the cool. And it says, we don't know what we will be, but we do know that we will be like him. Which, just the thought of being in heaven and being able to go like this and transport yourself to someplace else. Anybody else excited about the possibility of not having to drive again? No wasting of time. You just, I mean, you don't have to get off the, the couch, really. You just got to go to the bathroom. You're in the bathroom. Um, probably spend more time in front of the refrigerator. But uh, in verse 2, he says, uh, There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was him. Jesus 
therefore said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. They cast, therefore, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. The disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. So the interesting thing is this boat's full of all of these men. They all decided they were going to go fishing together. And this will tie in a little bit later. But what did Peter do before Jesus said, follow me? He was a fisherman. So we find ourselves in a situation. You guys heard me talk many times before about what the apostles would have been going through at the time that Jesus Christ was crucified. Um, Jesus Christ, he's, he had already given them the ability to understand the scriptures. So everything that Jesus Christ had spoke to them and everything that they knew from the Old Testament was now beginning to make sense to them. Um, but they still would have been very much attached to the human, um, the human carnal side of life. In other words, you've just spent three and a half years with a guy who defended you when the religious zealots of the day attacked you, who fed you when you were hungry, who provided miracles to continue to encourage the faith that was being built in you. Um, this man who was their provider and protector had let them know previous to his crucifixion that he was going to be leaving them. And not only that he was going to be leaving them, but he also said, where I'm going, you can't come. So these men who had now spent three and a half years of their life, depending on Jesus Christ, were going to have to try to get used to life without him. What would be your first temptation? It's, well, I mean, Jesus isn't going to be any here anymore, right? So I'm losing my protection. He isn't going to be any here anymore, so I'm losing my provision. He's no longer going to feed me. He's no longer going to protect me. He's no longer going to be the one to encourage me because he's not going to be here. And that's, I guarantee you, that's where Peter's mind was at. Not to mention the weight that Peter was carrying on his back from Jesus Christ saying, before the cock crows, you would deny me three times. And Peter, even though he said, no, never, paraphrasing, no, never, I would never do that, not going to happen, what did Peter do? Denied him three times. Have you ever done anything that, that you know that you're quite capable of, but you also know is, comes directly into conflict with what God expects of us? How does it make you feel? And if you haven't dealt with that, if you have not dealt with whatever that experience may have been in your life, what if somebody just told you, hey, there's Jesus, and now you've got to walk up and stand face-to-face to him? Now, we know that Peter's response to this wasn't necessarily a negative response, probably a sigh of relief. I mean, the last he knew that he, he denied Jesus, Jesus died. The fact that Jesus Christ was alive was still something that he was having difficulty grasping, we know that he was having difficulty grasping it because it says specifically that they didn't know who he was. Who did know who he was when he stood on the beach and said, hey, you haven't caught anything, have you? Who knew who he was? John did. If you remember in the, in the previous chapter, when they, ran to the, when they ran to the tomb that was empty and uh, John outran Peter, Peter went in the tomb first. Peter saw the, the, uh, the, the linen wrappings. Then John went in 
And it says that that one disciple, which is speaking of John, believed. Why didn't it say they believed? Because Peter was still having difficulty grasping the possibility. To him, there would have been an emotional conflict that would have been bigger than anything anybody had ever experienced in their life. Because for him, I just denied Jesus, and he died. I'm never going to get a chance to fix this. But then now there's a chance to fix this, but you also have to pay the fiddler. Because you did something that Jesus Christ told you was going to do, something that within his own being would have been something that was shameful, that would have been very difficult for him to be able to face Jesus uh, because of the fact that he did it. Verse 7. So that disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. And so when they got upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, and fish placed on it, and bread. Something important here before we move on. Did Jesus say, bring me some of the fish before he cooked it? Or when they showed up, was the fish cooked and the bread prepared? This is Jesus letting everyone of the apostles know, I'm still your provider. I'm still going to take care of you. How many of you have ever felt or lived circumstances in your life where you felt like the Lord had just vacated the scene? That he was nowhere to be seen? You don't know where he went. But you certainly didn't feel like he was there. We are curious human human beings when we come to trying to figure out what the reality of the situation is and being able to meld that with a preconceived condition that we have in our brains. When we pray, do we pray for do we pray for what God wants? Or we pray for what we want. It's okay to be honest. We're sitting in church. You don't have to be honest out loud. Just be honest to yourself. Between you and the Lord. Most cases, we pray for what's good for ourselves. We a lot of times don't even ask God what his part in this is. We've all asked questions. Why? Right? I mean, this woman that Casey talked about a while ago, how could you not say why? But is it important that we know why? Or is it really just important for us to know that we serve a God who is not unjust, who would do nothing uh, for no purpose? The difficulties, the challenges, the struggles that we go through, being individuals who understand that God is our provider means that If he is allowing us to go through something, he is not a cruel God. That he is looking to accomplish something in the midst of the difficulty. And I haven't said this in a while, so I'll say it again. I've heard too many Christians say, if God brought me to it, he will bring me through it. And I can tell you that that is probably one of the most heretical sayings that I've ever heard in my life. Because that's who we are in human nature, right? If God brought me to an uncomfortable situation, the one thing that I want is to get through it, right? Our focus is on the other side of it. 
But if we were being honest about what God's doing, if God brought us through it, we need to stop and ask him why. Because he's looking to accomplish something in our lives. I, I told you all last week, doubting Thomas, when he doubted that Jesus Christ had risen from the grave, Jesus didn't, he didn't condemn him. Jesus didn't yell at him. Jesus Christ met him where he was at. He doubted. We're human beings. We're fallen individuals. We're saved by grace. Let's not pretend that we're perfect individuals. We should have a desire to be perfect. But let's be honest. If Jesus Christ called you face-to-face to him right now, is there anything in your life that you would be a little hesitant to talk to him about? Is there anything in life right now, if you were called before him, that you would go, oh, wait a minute, I'm not ready? Because so many people in this world are in that spot. And we have to understand that Jesus Christ is willing to meet us where we're at. When you don't have faith in a situation, Jesus is willing to meet you where you're at. When you're angry at him in a situation, he will meet you where you're at. He's not going to be condemning. He didn't look to condemn Peter. He didn't look to condemn anyone. He looks for every one of us through the mistakes that we make to learn from our mistakes and to continue to be conformed to his image. We live in an age today where individuals are being taught from the church that you have a list to follow, and if you don't follow the list, you're a heathen. Everything I know about the Bible, that's legalism, and you or I, neither one, have the power to save ourselves. By the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, I will stand before the Father perfect. But until I take my last breath, I am a fallen human being on a journey of sanctification just like every other believer. And the only gauge that we live by is am I a little bit more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. Peter's feeling pressure, I guarantee it. But I think he's also feeling hopeful. Verse 10 says, Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now this is interesting. How did, what does it mean for, I mean, it said the net was full. It said that it couldn't even be drawn into the boat, right? So we know there's an idea of a, of a lot of fish. Now this says large fish. So we know that these fish could have been, even if we considered a large fish, a two-pound fish. All right? What is the significance of 153 fish? Glad you asked. Significance is the proof that John was an eyewitness to this event. That's information only an eyewitness would have known. Only someone who's seen this with their own eyes would have known this information. Not to mention, have you thought about 153 fish if those things weighed two pounds apiece? Or what if large was 10 pounds apiece? Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Don't allow verse 14 to confuse you. 
John is speaking of the third time that he revealed himself to the disciples according to his gospel. Now, the gospels have different information in them. They don't give contrary accounts. There are accounts that are given from from that particular disciple's perspective, and it is God-breathed to that individual. So when you look at a gospel, a gospel doesn't contain 100% of the information of Jesus Christ's life. It contains the parts that the Lord revealed to the individual that they were to record for us to be able to have. If, if it contained 100% of it, there would be no reason whatsoever for there to be four Gospels. But there were four Gospels, four Gospels written for a specific purpose, some Gospels written to Jews, some Gospels written to Gentiles, some Gospels written for the purpose of the believers who would come in the future, those who are alive at the time. There are a lot of things that those four Gospels accomplish. So he's speaking specifically the third time, according to John's Gospel. If you go back and look um, in chapter 20, This is the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples according to John's account. So if you read another account and you see some other areas where Jesus manifested himself, and there are some, um, you go, wait a minute, there were four times or five times. Three times according to the gospel according to John. Verse 15, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, he said to him, yes, Lord. He said to him, tend my lambs. I spent a long time in my life, and I'm not going to say that it can't mean this. I spent a a long time in my life thinking that when Jesus said, do you love me more than these, that he was talking about the other apostles. And I'm not saying that's not a possibility. He doesn't say specifically who he's talking to here. When I was preparing this message, though, something kind of cool kind of entered my brain. When he said, do you love these more than me? He could have been talking about the fish. Remember what I said earlier? When Peter found himself in that place where he was apart from Jesus, Jesus was leaving him. He couldn't answer all of his questions. The one thing that Peter was tempted to do was go back to life the way that it was previous to him meeting Jesus. The interesting thing, when you look at these two words in the Greek, these two words love, they're different. They're not the same words. When Jesus said, do you love me more than these? He meant, are you totally 100% devoted to me? So when Peter said, you know that I love you, Peter was saying, of course I have an emotional attachment to you. When Jesus said, tend my lambs, Jesus has singled out Peter, not just because of the fact that Peter had denied him, But something that's very interesting, if you look this up in every one of the Gospels where these apostles were all together, who was the first one named? Peter was. What does this mean? God called Peter out as a leader. And a leader cannot be anything less than 100% devoted to Jesus Christ and what he has called us to be and accomplish. So when he said, you love me more than these, he was saying, do you love me more than the one thing you reverted to when you thought that I was gone? And his response, tend my lambs. 
How many of you guys have ever had a kid ask for a puppy? Every kid asks for a puppy. What's the first thing that comes to mind when a kid asks for a puppy? Bingo. Who's going to take care of it, right? Who's going to clean its kennel? Who's going to take it out to use the bathroom? Who's going to feed it? Who's going to water it? Who's going to clean up after it? Who is going to be the one who's responsible to take care of this? It's not a small responsibility. It's a big responsibility. So when Jesus said, tend my lambs, or tend my, my lambs, he actually was saying to him, I've not called you to do something that requires a little time and a little effort. I've called you to do something that cannot be accomplished with any less than 100% total devotion to me. According to this, verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, shepherd my sheep. The second time had to be a little bit troubling to Peter. The second time that he said this, it had to have caused his heart to sink just a little bit. But in the Greek, the same two differences in the words love. I want to tell you something before I go any further, folks. When we look at Christian culture today, outside of a biblical worldview, there are people who attend church because they love Jesus. But in the experience that we see, in all of the evidence that we see, the number is still around 80% of the people in this world who believe in the God of the Bible. If that were true, if love for God by 80% of the population in this country were true, we're not going to get into these, but I just want to ask the question so you can be pondering it. How would the world be different? There are people who go to church for a lot of different reasons. I know through my 30 years of ministry that people go to church because of the music. They won't go to church because of the music. They'll join the church because of the color of the carpet. They'll not join the church because of the color of the carpet. Are the pews padded? Does the preacher yell enough? Does the preacher yell too much? Does the preacher say hi to me when I got there that morning? Does he say bye to me when I leave? The people next to me made me uncomfortable. We come up with 50 million reasons why we won't pick a church. 50 million reasons. When we come to church, what's it about? It better be about Jesus. Too many people go to church these days expecting something. And I can honestly see God up there going, I have given you my son. I have given you his life. I have given you salvation as a result. I have given you the peace that passes all understanding. I've given you the strength beyond the strength of any human being. And you show up in my house and ask me what I have to offer. If we love Jesus, then we're 100% devoted to him. 
And that means I walk through the door of the church because I acknowledge him for who he is. And that means that I walk through the church and I praise him with all that I have because I am grateful for everything that he's done. We accept our responsibilities with gladness and don't shy away from them because it may be a little bit of work. You want to know how grateful someone is for what Jesus did? Let's personalize this. If you want to gauge just how much gratitude you have for God for everything that he's done for us, it's not a hard thing to do. Matter of fact, I think it's better for us to do it as individuals and forbidden for other people to do it for us. We have to be responsible with our own minds and our own hearts. We have the ability to look in our hearts and say whether what it is that we live in our daily lives every day of the week is gratitude and acknowledgement or whether it's not. Women, is it enough when your husband just tells you he loves you? Or does it have to come with an action too? Because the action shows devotion. Talk is cheap. Right? Men, we aren't quite as... God wired us as individuals who didn't necessarily need to be told that they love us all the time. It's nice to hear occasionally, though. Let's admit it, right? Is it enough for them to say that they love you and not act like they do? Because this is what the church of the modern day is. It'll stand during a hymn and it'll shout to the top of its lungs that it loves Jesus. But when it comes to, when it comes to living the life that proves it, just how much does it fall short? Again, I'm not trying to put pressure on you guys' shoulders. Please don't take this as pressure. Don't do anything because this preacher stands up here and says that it's what you're supposed to do. But so help me, I am God's mouthpiece. And if I say something and the Lord grabs you by the heart and starts to speak to you, you aren't responding to me. They use a different phrase at the end of that one too. Shepherd my sheep. Not only should you be someone who's taking care of them, but you should also be someone who is leading them. When the Lord is our shepherd, what does he do? Takes us to the greener grass, right? He protects when he leads, right? The still waters. Prepareth the table before my enemies. Anoints my head with oil. He's not making Peter the shepherd of God's people. He's making him the under-shepherd of God's people. And the under-shepherd of God's people cannot be anything less than 100% devoted. And I've stood up here and I've preached it before, folks. How many of us are leaders? Believe it or not, somebody's watching you. And they're following you. They'll learn to say the things you say, do the things you do. Every one of us on some level is a leader. How many of us are teachers? 
Everything we say and everything that we do is teaching somebody something. The reason the world's so messed up out there about what a Christian is is because of what they see. They don't go to church. They don't read their Bible. They don't know what a Christian's supposed to be. So when they make statements like the church, people of the church, they act like that they're better than everyone else. Where do they get that idea? From people who are Christians who walk around and act like they're better than everyone else. It's hard enough to get people to accept the truth. You know how many times this Bible's been attempted to be changed? They've actually produced some that has altered it quite a bit. They've turned some of them into paraphrases, which means as far as original accuracy, there is none. Seventeen says, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Yes, I do believe that Jesus Christ asked him this question three times because Jesus Christ denied him three times. I also believe that it took the third time for Peter to get it. took the third time for Peter to understand Jesus wasn't asking if I have an emotional attachment to him. Jesus is asking, am I 100% devoted to him? Because folks, we live in a day and age, and I know people think that it's unheard of. It's already been going on in countries all over the world, people being beheaded because of their faith. When Peter denied Jesus, what was he worried about? He was worried about his own well-being. And because he was scared for his own well-being, he denied, he denied being someone who was a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I hear it from people all the time. I love posting things on Facebook. I will post memes. I will post, and, and I, I love going to these atheist websites, dropping the name of Jesus, just back out and watch the nuclear explosion happen. I love doing it. And I have people all the time that say, do you think Jesus really wants you to do that? And it's like, yes, I really do think Jesus wants me to do that. Never been in Facebook jail, but I've been in Facebook lockup. You know what the difference is, right? Facebook lockups, when they lock your page for a couple of days, they have to review the stuff that you've posted, and then they message you back and say it actually didn't go against their community standards, so they let you out. Aren't you afraid about what other people think? That was what was wrong with Peter. He was afraid of what other people thought. He was afraid of what the, co of the consequences would be of him being a person who was associated with Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to serve me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to lead for me, you cannot be someone who is motivated by self-preservation. You cannot be someone who is more interested in protecting yourself than you are the gospel message that has the power to save souls. Verse 18 says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. And he said this signifying what kind of death he would glorify, with what kind of death he would glorify God. 
And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. We know for a fact this at home with Peter. The Peter we meet in the book of Acts is a completely different Peter that we've seen in any of them. Church tradition says that what Jesus Christ spoke to Peter came absolutely true. Because of Jesus Christ, Peter following Jesus Christ, being faithful to Jesus Christ, they said they were going to crucify him. Peter's response this time wasn't, tell me what I must do to, keep, to get me out of, the, out of the crucifixion. They said, Peter, you've not listened to our warnings. You've continued to proclaim this gospel. And because of that, we're going to crucify you. And Peter said, just grant me one wish. Crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to hang like my Lord did. We know for a fact that Jesus Christ's message hit home with Peter because Peter, he gave his life for the Lord. Verse 20, Peter turning around, got to understand, he's still sorting all this out now. <laughs> Peter turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who also had leaned back on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, therefore, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Please don't raise your hands because that could turn out rather embarrassing. How many of you, how, how many of you at any point in your life have ever been critical towards another person? ever been critical towards another person's Christianity, another person's walk, choices that an individual has made. I mean, I've been in church long enough to see when, when I preach something and a wife reaches over and elbows her husband in the ribcage. You might have done that. Or they cast a gaze over at their spouse, over at somebody else that they know in the church, and they're casting the gaze as if, did you hear that kind of a situation? Are you paying attention? Peter, of course, it's John walking behind him. Jesus just told him they're going to lead you where you don't want to go. They're going to gird you. They're going to stretch your hands out. I don't know whether Peter knew for sure that he was going to be crucified, but I know that Peter was not impressed by what it was that Jesus was saying to him. It was something that frightened him. And he turned around, rather than being more interested in his own responsibility to Jesus, he turns to John and he goes, what about him? Jesus said, what about him? Folks, your calling by God and your gifts are your calling and your gift. Somebody else's calling and gift is that person's calling and gift. And I stand here and tell you through my experience in 30 years of the ministry, do you know what the most destructive thing has been to individuals in their faith? People. 
20 years, we've baptized over 240 people in this church. Some of whom moved away. Some of whom felt callings through the gifts that they had to serve in other places. Multiple times as many were driven out because of the, criti the, the critical nature of other human beings. We've not had that problem here for a long time, and I'm not going to stand and just let that happen again. But folks, the fact of the matter is we spend way too much attention on other people's relationship with Jesus and not near enough attention on our own. Because I can promise you this. In whatever scenario you want to apply it in, husband, you pay attention to your relationship with Jesus and making it right and keeping it right. Wife, you pay attention to your relationship with Jesus, making it right and keeping it right. And as an automatic result, I can promise you one thing. You will have a marriage that God intended you to have. The most important thing in a husband's life had better be Jesus. The most important thing in a wife's life had better be Jesus. And if they have him in the proper place, if their true, genuine, total devotion to him is, is in the right place, it's a marriage that's unbreakable. Verse 24 says, this is the disciple who bears witness of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his witness is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. Here's the deal, folks. We have lost in this country, and I think on some scale, never did really get it. Yeah, there are people who get it. I'm not throwing people under the bus. Most people think that Christianity is going to church. That's one of our expressions of Christianity. It is not Christianity in a nutshell. Twelve years as a youth pastor, and I watched it. And when I became a, a senior pastor of a church... I watched it just the same. Did you know that Sunday morning Christians, they are awesome at behaving themselves? They walk out of the church and they become something completely different. Being devoted to Jesus, it's not the same as being devoted to church. We go to church because Jesus asked us to. But why did he ask us to? This church's motto, printed on the front of the bulletin, so that we may continue to encourage one another as the day of Christ draws near. Because this world's going to hell in a handbasket, and I've read the entire book. It doesn't get better. It only gets worse. We've already seen circumstances. I've witnessed thousands of circumstances in my lifetime where people face challenges and struggles they can't handle, and the one thing they abandon is the one thing that could have got them through it. The day's going to come where the choices are going to get harder, where being faithful is going to be much more difficult. But we've got to stop thinking about us. 
And we're going to start thinking about the individual out there who doesn't have a relationship with him. Because I honestly don't know how they do it. I accepted Christ at the age of 16. I know what life was before I came to know Jesus. But in this day and age, I couldn't imagine life without him. I couldn't imagine the hope that overcomes all hopelessness. The encouragement that overcomes all discouragements. The strength that overcomes all weaknesses. I, I couldn't imagine life without it. I couldn't imagine life without him. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.